0: Here we go. And here we are again for another episode of Nudge Coach Happy Hour. Mac, how you doing today? Doing great. Three in a row. Three, Three in good. a row. Three Fridays in a row. It's Friday, August 21st. I'm marking these moments in history, partly because I'm just fascinated by the idea of looking back at this in like 10 years. I hope these files still exist somewhere. Because I want to, let's just paint the picture here. We just had the Democratic National Convention 100% virtually. Um, we have the NBA playing their playoffs in a bubble at Disney World. <laughs> all kinds of weird shit going on, folks. I think
1: I think college kids are being kicked out of their colleges too during all of this.
0: Yeah, on a case-by-case basis, it seems yeah. like. It's very, very confusing.
1: So, geez. But, and we're still just at our house hanging out on Zoom.
0: It's like a bad sci-fi movie we're living through.
1: I know. I feel bad for anyone who's listening to us right now. (laughs) And Uh, we just did our first Instagram live. That was my first Instagram live. Oh, yeah. Max sprung that on me. I wasn't ready for anyone who wants to make fun of me on that. (laughs) I put all my makeup on beforehand.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I need my my touch up. Uh, No doubt about it. All right. So we've had some good conversations this week, I think. Um, This is something that actually is... Things we we're going to get into today go back to things that we've touched on over the years, on and off. I think um, pretty consistently, but it sure as all well sounds like an interesting topic to me, which is digging in on um, appropriate coach-client ratios, how many clients you can manage, and maybe how many you should look to bring on yeah. um, as a coach and as a business. So, where do we want to
1: start with this today, Mike? Jeez, there's just I, I think I think the logical place to start is going to, well, for one, let's maybe to draw a line in the sand and set expectations yeah. this is for remote coaching. Cause I think that is going to immediately make it, you know, it's a differentiation between anyone who's, who's a coach out there. I think when you're thinking about a remote coaching model, that, that may be different than when you're used to, or maybe that's something you're already following. But I think now that we've kind of set those expectations, I think getting into maybe some of the factors that we identified previously is going to be helpful because I mean, we built a calculator around this. I mean, we crunched the numbers. We were adding up how many minutes things took. I mean, I I think there's some really interesting learnings from this. And I think this is evolving. I think as the world's changing, new platforms and technologies come out. We almost need to go back and I think probably make some adjustments to it. But
0: Yeah. And I think the way we've been doing these, uh, so you know how we prep for these. Mac and I do this debrief every Friday anyway. We just record it now. So don't expect us to be 100% prepared to like have – specific numbers to throw out on every topic. But on this one, we actually probably could given that there is a spreadsheet that lives somewhere that has a calculator in it. Um it may help to frame this starting out as maybe an individual coach, right, Mac, that might be the easiest place to start. And then we can maybe dig in more factors from there.
1: Yeah, because I think you could you can obviously kind of extrapolate this and build it into what it would mean in like a team dynamic with much larger populations. But yeah, we. I guess to, to maybe, if you want me to, I can read off some of the factors that maybe we encountered as we were looking at this. You know, we might have to dig into each one
0: just to frame okay. it a little bit. Let's just see how it goes. This feels like a topic that can snowball, so we'll
1: see how it goes. <laughs> Hold on, we're still here. No, but I think so. There's some really obvious ones, but then I think what's interesting is to to also identify for some people maybe the less obvious factors that can really really influence efficiency. Because that was the big thing that we took away when we were really dissecting this was there's the obvious things, right? There's the obvious things of, okay, well, how long are your coaching sessions? Like that, that's the obvious thing, right? But I think what we tend to find is, especially when you get into remote coaching, really is you need to look at, okay, well, think about asynchronous communication. How many asynchronous touch points are you having with clients each week or each month? You, know, you need, to fa- need to factor that in. It goes even beyond that, though, and I know there's some ratios I've heard out there, but for like every hour you spend with a client, there's another hour outside of it from the administrative and documentation, which I I think is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, A couple things that we also identified that were pretty important with this were, for instance, if documentation has to occur within like an EMR system versus just, hey, I'm taking, I'm jotting down notes on a client, that's going to be a factor, you know, if you're logging something within a more more formal system that may take a little bit longer Mm-hmm. Um, how experience you have in remote coaching. There's a learning curve. And we've seen some like instance, people like Dr. Steve, who, you know, you could keep throwing clients at him. And I think he can manage 250 people and say, Hey, yeah, I'm ready for another client. Bring them my way. You know, obviously you unlock efficiencies as you get there. Um, I think also too, as you're thinking about the types of programs you're offering, and this is an interesting one we should dissect a little bit, thinking about back and forth communication. So for instance, It's one thing to be able to predict, hey, I'm gonna deliver a touch pointer message to each one of my clients, say weekly or monthly or whatnot. But what happens and how do you factor in organic conversation that occurs from that? That is a tricky part that I think most people don't think as much about either. And how available, you know, how available do you want to be to your clients? Is it a 24-7 thing? Mm -hmm. I think that's that's the slippery slope. Yeah, that's that's definitely where prediction gets really hard. So
0: you can structure your program as much as you want to if you don't set those expectations. Uh, up front and something that we've recommended for a long time is sort of this rules of engagement concept where you share either a formal document that you may even have clients sign, or at least you, you share these very clearly up front a set of expectations that say something like, Hey, message me anytime, but know that I may not get back to you until, you know, 24 or 48 hours later. Um, could have even specific time constraints on what, when you want to be receiving messages from clients um, these are all things that you can factor in up front that if you are thinking about them, I would definitely get them in writing somewhere uh, before clients kind of kick off the program or as part of the onboarding process to make sure that you're not creating a monster each time you sign a client um, to get started.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'd say the biggest factor too that we saw that is, is probably pretty obvious is the number in length of coaching sessions. So mm-hmm. if you're someone who is wanting to provide really a high, high value, high quality, maybe your higher price point type program. And you're not as concerned with necessarily the quantity of clients you're working with, then it, it's a fact you don't need to worry as much about. You can be doing hour long sessions with clients multiple times a week. And we have some partners, I think that, that do that. But if you are someone who's really trying to push efficient, efficiency, that is one of the, that is probably the lever you have to spend the most time with adjusting. And that's where we saw when we were doing the math and crunching the numbers here was, okay, to really hit efficiency, you kind of need to limit those coaching sessions to once a month or every two weeks. And you really need to be very methodical about how you're going to structure those and really try to keep them under 30 minutes. And if you do that, when we're doing the math, you can still be pushing over hundred clients if you do it the right way. But that's the biggest factor. And we, we certainly have seen some partners out there, Phil, that are trying to coach or are coaching two to 300 people. And yeah. levers will be adjusted to get to that point. Yeah, 2 to 300 is going
0: to be tough if you're doing anything remotely personalized. Um yeah. so you think about the follow up some of the follow up items that you touched on. So um sessions um so you know typically the first thing you'll think about is a, a one-on-one session where you're really sitting down with someone just like we're sitting down here having a conversation digging in. Um you may really have to limit those if you want to scale um in terms of the number of clients you're working with and it'll probably impact the kind of price point that you're looking at offering. Um, you know, if if you're really doing kind of a high scale play, maybe you have and this is probably something we'll get into later, something like an online course that people are going through alongside uh your coaching. Uh then maybe you don't do any personal one-on-one sessions, um, but you'll have maybe regular throughout the roadmap um kind of group sessions so it runs a little bit more like a cohort. These are things that you can do to kind of adjust the scalability of your program
1: based on your needs. Mm-hmm yeah, it's it, and I don't want to get too far down this way because I'm sure this is probably going to be one of our next happy hour conversations around kind of group coaching and programming. But one thing I think is also something to consider sometimes because we do have some coaches that we've we've met or worked with that maybe have to work backwards they say, hey, I'm in a situation. I need to be able to coach X number of people. And then we kind of have to think about building programs to get to that level of efficiency. And I think you touched on something really important that we are starting to see more group programming now. We're starting to see more like a maintenance type plan or teaser plan And I call. It, it's kind of more of an intro or a stepping stone into, into one-to-one coaching that with these new technologies that are coming out there, I think just allow you to deliver content, deliver programming really at scale that you can be providing services to hundreds or thousands of people, depending on you know, what systems you're using. So it's kind of amazing to me to see kind of what, what's possible at this point.
0: Yeah, there's a lot possible for sure. And so last week we, we talked about uh, the influencer coaching model a little bit and people who are kind of building these larger audiences kind of ahead of time and then realizing that coaching is a great opportunity for them to uh, monetize more effectively that audience and, and, you know, have the opportunity to work with people one-on-one provide greater value or work with people at least somewhat closely, not necessarily always one-on-one Um Having an audience like that certainly lends itself to being able to do something a little bit more scalable on the front end. It's tough to launch from scratch and have any type of scale play because if you kind of work backwards from the hours, it's going to require to start getting your name out, bringing on clients, starting to have good conversations with potential clients. um, You really have to look at how much time and effort it's going to take to convert enough people to get to the numbers that you're interested in. Um, So, you know, depending on where you are, you know, if you're, it's a, it's a little bit different for if you're, you know, a famous athlete and you got a hundred thousand, uh, a million, four million followers on some social <laughs> media, um, versus, you know, someone who's just coming out of the, maybe you're a school teacher who's becoming a coach um, and moving into this industry newly, and you don't have a huge social media mm-hmm. following, you're gonna have to be a little bit more scrappy, and there's a different model there that I would pursue.
1: Yeah. Well that was interesting because that was one of the big takeaways when we were talking to Lauren Tickner on that one call for that, I guess that other episode was how it seems like from her perspective, which I, I definitely agree with the more I'm thinking about it, that it seems like coaches are starting with very personalized, hands-on programming. And then what we see is once they really feel like they have their structure together and they have their, you know, their legs under them, they've been essentially taking those concepts trying to repurpose them and build them in very scalable ways through things like learning management systems to launch more scalable digital offerings that maybe don't have any real one-to-one interaction at all. It's all kind of go at your own pace, or maybe it does have a little bit of one-to-one on top of it. But it seems like there's this interesting coaching pyramid or coaching funnel coming together here that more and more are starting to follow with that model we were talking about last week. Yeah, for sure. And if
0: I'm so, if I'm just getting started, you know, I I think the first thing that I'm pursuing is you know some sort of kind of partnership outreach model, so that I can you know fill in some sort of gap for an organization with an existing audience somewhere and starting to get in front of people, but uh, with the understanding that I'm going to have to start with a pretty high touch, pretty personalized coaching program as I'm bringing on kind of the first handful of clients. What it's obviously you're doing that for a very practical reason, kind of in the early days you want to get to sustainable as quickly as possible. So, you know, but just throwing easy numbers out there, if I'm newish, but you know, I really know what I'm doing. I'm going to work pretty personally with these people. I may launch a program that is a however long program, say three months for a thousand dollars. Um, and you know, if I do that, I know that, okay, if, if it's a three-month program, I need to have twenty clients going through it at a time to get to twenty thousand dollars. And if I do that every quarter, then I get to eighty thousand dollars in a year. Um, obviously, that's a pretty decent year for a new coach. Um, but you know, that's the kind of kind of the way you have to think about it to be able to work backwards to the program that you want to deliver. Now, you're probably going to have to do things if you're brand new to this, like. Um, provide special offers and be pretty transparent, honestly, up front. Like, Hey, I, you know, I'm just launching this business. Um, you're one of my first clients. so I'm going to be very hands-on with you. I'd like to offer you some form of discount in exchange for your feedback as we go along together. Um, those are the kinds of things that you want to do kind of early in the business to, to make the ratios work out for you, because in the end you have a sort of, um, nut that you want to crack in terms of how much you know, money you want to bring in throughout that year.
1: It actually reminds me. There was one factor I forgot to touch on that we we did discover as we were going through this that makes a big impact was actually the method of scheduling. Also, was something that was really overlooked. So, for instance, if you were um, say you were working with you know fifty clients and your your process or method of scheduling was a lot of back and forth messages of hey, what, I'm available this time this day or no, I'm not or yes, you know, you going back and forth. If if you were, if you haven't used some kind of system like a Calendly. It was actually amazing the extra minutes that were, were kind of creeping up in people's administrative work each week as we we're going through the numbers that it really made a significant impact. If you were using something like a Calendly or you, I think you can book me or one of those other systems that allows a person just to book, book a time with you based on your availability. So it's something not to be overlooked, especially if you're looking at a more scalable model that still has coaching like one to one sessions involved. So that was kind of an interesting learning as we we're going through it.
0: Absolutely right. If you don't use the right tools out there, the tools that are available to you at this point, use the right platforms or you're going to kill yourself.
1: That should be the theme. That should be the theme is use the right tools. Use the right tools. Uh,
0: um, I think it's pretty essential at this point. Um, yeah, it was, that was one of the craziest things we found from that research we did. Um, I don't remember the exact number, but you know, you think about all the emailing back and forth. It really can drag on, Hey, can you get together on Thursday or Friday In the afternoon looks better for me. I'm free at two and four. Oh, those don't work for me. You know, that's seven emails later, you might have a a hard and fixed appointment. And it doesn't necessarily reduce the percentage of the time that that person just ends up not being able to make it anyway. You have to rebook. And those are the things that really hurt when it comes to kind of streamlining your time.
1: Yeah. So it, it was kind of amazing as we looked at it, because there were about eight different factors that kind of wove in from messaging, the number of um, one-to-one coaching sessions you were having. And when you looked at that, it was kind of the frequency and the in the amount of time that went into those, the administrative um, or documentation that was required, the experience of the team that, and I, I can't stress that enough. It, it, there really is a learning curve with remote coaching. And I think we've seen some of the most talented coaches once they go to more of a remote model, um, some of them really struggle. And I think it's something that is, is overlooked as being a skill set that over time, you may be great at working with someone need in knee ear face to face, but It may take you some time to get to that point that you feel good with the asynchronous communication, you know, uh, writing messages that are highly engaging, um, doing, you know, writing, writing efficient, quick, to the point, concise messages. Um, and that was something that we did see, like I said, that kind of separates someone that feels comfortable managing hundred, 200 people through asynchronous communication versus someone who's very used to the in-person model.
0: Yeah. Interestingly, um, I feel like people that are really competent on, you know, social media, like Twitter and Instagram are actually much better naturals at transitioning to online coaching than even really experienced coaches who are used to working with people and have for years. Um, tend to have a lot more trouble just because the communication
1: is so different. Shoot, you remember years ago when we worked with that, uh, you know, I don't want to say anybody's name, but we're working with that one who was a, a PhD, highly, you know, highly sought after person who really struggled when we got them on the system, because I remember looking at the messaging, the messaging they were writing, and they were writing these thousand word messages to clients. And that's just not engaging. We've all been there before. You open up an email and you have a huge wall of text. You say I'll get to it later. I mean, mm-hmm. can't stress enough what we see is is if you if you're someone who's good at Twitter and you can keep all of your thoughts to what is it 160 characters or whatnot, you, you will be in an, an incredible. You, you'll have a leg up on the remote coaching side because you need to keep your your messaging concise, simple. You know, making sure you're you're prompting questions, creating the yes nos, making it easy for people to engage back. It drives me crazy. Phil, mm-hmm. like when going to implementations. And we'll review people's communication protocols. And I read through them and I'm like, huh, you realize at no point in this communication thread have you asked the client one question. How do you expect them to engage back with you? And it, it's, we've all been there when you've been on a text thread with someone and the person doesn't, their message to you doesn't ask a question. That's kind of when the text thread dies, right? So it's one of those things that it's just so important thinking about how you structure these messages.
0: Yeah. And it goes back to something. I've probably said this too much, but like the, the original call to action is a question mark. That is the OG yeah. first ever call to action invented. <laughs> That's my, my marketing tip of the week. Um, you know, just end with a question. Engagement is reciprocity, right? You need somebody to come back at you if you really want to prove that they're engaging with you. Um, so just if you're, if you're asking yourself, is this a good enough message the first question to ask yourself is,
1: does this end in a question mark? Did you make that up? I'm really impressed by that. That's, that should be like in the show notes somewhere. I am very scared to claim it cause I'm almost <laughs> stolen from somebody. And <laughs> it's so true though. It, it's kind of incredible to me because it, it, I think we all, especially this day and age when we're all working a you know, working remotely and having a lot of probably asynchronous communication in general. Um, I think we can all probably take a step back and evaluate how we're writing messages. I, I remember distinctly a point in my life back in my twenties when, you know, we all remember when you get out of college, every email you write sounds like the most formal thing you've ever read before in your life. And you're yeah. like the most polite person ever to the point where your messages are just like wordy. They they like don't even make sense because you're just trying to be polite. And I think it's something that it, it really does. It, it's it takes, you know, it really does take experience and it really does take some, um, I don't know, it's almost like a reset or recalibration of how you write for like conciseness, you know, something that's going to be engaging and it's something I think we can all learn from, but from a coaching standpoint, especially remote coaching, it's, it's critical. And it makes, it means the difference. I, I hate when I hear people talk about how like remote systems didn't work for them because it's like, whoa, 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 systems are the vehicle, this has all to do with the way in which you're engaging and communicating with your clients. Yeah,
0: it's the whole game. And that's such a good example. I'm just imagining like, I, I want to go back and read a couple of the papers I wrote in college. So I wrote a whole hell of a lot of papers. I had the weirdest major ever. It was an econ major with a writing emphasis, which I'm sure doesn't mean anything to anybody. But I wrote a lot. And it's like every paper is a vocabulary lesson. Whereas if you read yeah. my emails today, I probably am going out of my way to never use a word with more than like eight letters in it. Um I'm in, on the extreme side of conciseness, clarity, simplicity, these are the things that get people to come back to you when they absolutely know what you mean and what they want or what you want from them.
1: It's funny you say this because like I always thought it was so strange when teachers always require you to write papers of certain length, because I think it's that's that's kind of a cop out. I feel like it's one of those things that's much more difficult to write a shorter paper. I think every paper okay. should be one page. And you, you just think about the, the importance and the words you're using and the vocabulary. And I, I think back to some of the stuff we've talked about in implementations of some of our partners before regarding the, the language they use in messages as well on the remote coaching side where, you know, some words they have, you know, have baggage associated with them. And I think you were the one who put a lot of that material together. So I don't know if you, it'd be interesting to even touch on that. I don't know if there's any sound bites or anything you have or you recall. Yeah, it's 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 definitely dangerous. So
0: we were helping out. I think um, when we were really digging into this, we were we were working pretty closely with some kind of population health management um, cases uh, that we were working on, and and programs around population health management. So you're dealing with certain condi- conditions. You're dealing with people that you know clearly haven't had a great experience with things like exercise in the past. Yeah, not so super like,
1: about remote coaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So exercise, for example, is a great, that's a great example of a word that might be a bit loaded if you're working with an audience that, you know, is diabetic or something, you know, that or pre-diabetic even, that have these issues. Diet is another really loaded word, Mm -hmm. potentially. Um, You want to soften those as much as you can. So that you're not turning people off, especially in those kind of those cases where you're doing like chronic care management stuff like that. Programs around conditions is where you really want to be careful with language. I would say. Yeah,
1: because you think about the whole stages of change thing. I mean, it's. I guess it's one of those. I don't want to say it's less important, but I guess it kind of is in a way. If a person signing up, you know, say Phil, you're working with me. You're my coach. I have put money down, and like I'm excited to work with you you can probably get away with some of the, you know, some of the words and phrases you're using in a way. But if, if I am someone who has been kind of recommended to work with you and it's something maybe I'm still on the fence of whether or not I'm ready for something like this. Yeah. You better believe the words that are coming across my phone. You better be very specific with what you're saying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Clear and specific. And I mean,
0: it's, it's really hard, honestly, in those situations where someone is sort of being opted in, um, for themselves, they're, they're kind of being pushed into your program a little Mm -hmm. bit. Those are the situations where you really have to be careful up front and build trust uh, before you really start asking a ton of those people. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, one of the best ways actually, and I read this in a book, this is, I really wish I could reference the book, but one of the best ways to actually start building a relationship with someone is to ask them for something that you know they can give you pretty easily. actually ask them to do something for you or ask them to give you give you something, uh, ask them for a recommendation, anything like that. So I would leverage that but word it in a very careful way and make sure it's not a huge ask when I'm in the early stages of building a relationship with someone like that. Just because you know there are so many pitfalls there, so many landmines and you don't know yet which ones you can step on um, or which ones you know are out there to be stepped on. For example, if you haven't had a, had much of a relationship with someone before you start working with them, you haven't had enough of the, the conversation back and forth to be able to ask, Hey, you know, what's your history with exercise programs or dieting or something like that. And, and again, you would dance around those words a little bit, but you'd want to kind of tease out in early conversations, you know, have you been yo-yo dieting your entire life? I want to know that. So I can avoid those kind of key terms and make it clear that, Hey, you did that in the past, but this is something different. Here's why.
1: Actually, you just touched on something too that just hit me because as we're thinking about kind of the remote relationship and how that leads to kind of coach-client ratios, one thing that did come up, and I think we see it regularly, is that when we're thinking about kind of a coaching session, right, we, I don't want to necessarily say, hey, you can't be doing one-on-one coaching sessions if you're trying to do high, something highly scalable because I, I will also say we've seen there is a correlation with the amount you humanize the experience on the front end within how long a person sticks around. So what I mean by that is, if you were just gonna onboard somebody into a remote coaching program, meaning you start having kind of back and forth asynchronous communication, and you have not had a in-person or a Zoom or some kind of, some kind of face-to-face type interaction or a long telephone chat or whatnot, the relationship does not go very far. It's kind of like if I just sent you a random text message and you had no idea who I was, how likely are you to respond to that message? Not, not very high. So what we do see, is it is worth spending time to have at least one good video conference or in-person session before kicking off the relationship because it makes a huge, huge impact in terms of sustainability and keeping a person around.
0: Now, at a bare minimum, guys, if they haven't seen your face on video saying something smart, then you've got a mountain to climb. Yeah, You um, got to
1: associate you. I mean, the, word, yeah. the put a name and a face together and understand that they, they're accountable to you. You're not just a robot text coming through to their phone.
0: Yeah, this I mean, again, circles back to last week talking about influencers, but influencers have an advantage off the jump because people have seen them all over the place yeah. and understand who they are and what they're about. Um, that's something that you need to achieve up front as much as you can in a relationship. And if you want to do it at scale, if you want to even launch an online course that's going to be get a lot of buy-in and get a lot of engagement, it's one thing to sign people up for it. It's a whole other thing to get them all the way through it. There's just a huge drop off rate in online courses and that's bad for you. Don't think, you know, that's great. They signed up, they paid me, they dropped Mm -hmm. off because if no one gets results, your marketing is only going to get harder and harder as you go along. Um, So, you know, they really need to see that uh, and see you and be able to make that connection up front in order to stick with you.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great point. So, I think just kind of circling back to this this calculator I have in front of me, I'm looking at some of the, those factors. I think what we probably want to do is maybe list some of these out in the show notes, but also too mm-hmm. may even be worth circling back on this and adjusting some of the numbers to it as things have changed. I think more people are using like booking systems at this point. Um, you know, content delivery, obviously, I think a lot of um, a lot of companies and coaches we work with, I think, are starting to use things like learning management systems. or found ways through the Nudge platform to kind of really streamline that. Um, so, I, you know, things are changing, things are evolving, which is, I think, exciting in the remote coaching space, but it does mean there's some incredible opportunities now from both efficiency and effectiveness.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, again, no one's saying on this call, either way that, you know, you have to do it one way or another, people are going to have different models that different structures work better for them. Um, the, the important thing here is that you've really thought out your time and thought out, you know what you can fit in and what you can do in order to, you know, have the business you want to have, be able to afford your life, that kind of thing. Um, You need to kind of really take the time to be intentional and think through all these details. For example, you know, for a lot of the coaches that we talk to, I know, you know, it's like they wouldn't do it unless they could do the one-on-one work. Um, That's what drives a lot of people. And honestly, you know, we love to do that from time to time as much as we can because it's really rewarding when you can work one-on-one with someone and, and get to see what comes out of it. That's a really rewarding experience. I totally get that. Um, and so, you know, if, if that's going to be the direction you're going to go, just understand, you know, this is going to be my model. So I can do more things like, you know, have a longer section session. Uh, after that session, deliver a personalized action plan for my, for my program, all of these really high value things to make sure that I'm delivering on the price point that I'm putting out there because I still, you know, no one wants to do this for free Um, unless you are, you know, a billionaire already. That's great. Um, (laughs) Do your thing, give your gift to the world. That's awesome. Uh, But for the rest of us, you know, we have to start from making a living and work our way back.
1: I think, yeah. And I think this really always circle back on this, this idea. Like I, I love that the mantra of do things that don't scale. And I think it's really important you work with people one-on-one and do things that really don't scale, you know, spend, spend extra time with clients, really bend over backwards. Cause I think that experience really then shapes whatever you'd be able to create from more of a scalable, like digital course type of perspective. And I think without that experience in the front end, I just don't know if any of those, you know, digital resources or digital assets would really be as valuable without, without that experience.
0: You can almost guarantee it. There's very few people that just have a sense of the market enough that without having a lot of one-on-one conversations, beating it up, they're going to deliver the right thing that scales. So that's a huge risk too. If you're out there thinking about starting something new, don't just get started on your online course and assume it's all going to be perfect. Every piece that you automate is basically, you can look at it as a risk because you know, you want it. If you're doing it one-on-one, you would kind of agonize over every detail, right? If I was sending it to this person, a follow-up email about the next video, what to look at next, you'd agonize over that, right? And when you're building out an online course or something that's fully automated, you're taking all that out and assuming you got it absolutely right the first time. Um, so you know, I think it's,
1: you probably, it's didn't.
0: <laughs> you probably didn't. You probably I, God didn't, and I'd love you if you did, but you got lucky. Um, it, I mean, when people talk about, when really successful people talk about validating an idea on the front end, it's probably the most important thing you can be doing with your time.
1: Absolutely. God, this, this has been, uh, this has been interesting. I'm, I'm glad we talked about this today because it really is something, it it came up actually in a call a few days ago and it it hit me that this hasn't been a topic we've talked too much about recently. So yeah, I, I kind of want to dust up, you know, dust up the the calculator and start jumping back in there and make some changes to it.
0: Yeah. I mean, maybe we can build build it into something a little bit fancier because what I, I honestly think would be really valuable for people and here's me. So I'm putting this out on a podcast. I want you guys to respond somewhere, either on our website. You can find these episodes um, on our website. You can find them on YouTube, on Spotify, on Apple podcasts, anywhere else you listen to this stuff, but find a way to shoot us a response and... Let us know if you think this would be valuable. So if we put out a calculator that basically you put in kind of the variables of your business and it spit out how many clients that you, we think you can manage, would that be valuable? One, um, if we made that available to you, just curious. Two, if it took all that and then you could opt in for the next level of saying how much you need to charge for your program based on what you put in to make a living. I would love to know if you would like that as well. Um, these are these are things that yeah. I would like to workshop with you guys as we go through this experience together. So let's work on validating those ideas together.
1: It sounds like a good project in Google Sheets as a starting point. That's right, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> well, this is, this is good. I mean, this is, I thought, pretty interesting week. I'm excited to see what we jump into next time. It'll be interesting to see if we maybe even open up so people can start asking questions or giving us recommendations for topics. Because um, we, I mean, we hear a lot. I mean, keep in mind, between Phil and I, we're on calls, largely, you know, multiple times a day, with either prospects of ours or customers of ours, talking about real coaching problems in terms of how they're operationalizing different programs, different businesses. So we've we've kind of heard it all at this point.
0: That's right. So maybe in the future, Nudge Coach Happy Hour will be coming to you live, um, and we could set it up as a webinar or something like that, so that you know people could join and ask questions as we go along. But I guess mm-hmm. for this week. Uh, Let's wrap it up. That was another episode of Dutch Coach Happy Hour. You know where to find it. I already mentioned it. So um, appreciate the feedback too, guys. Um, if you wouldn't mind shooting a, dropping a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, especially, that really helps. Um, but until then, appreciate you all, and we'll see you next time.
1: Cheers.